Good morning, church. Man, it's so good to see you guys be with you today. Uh, for those of you here who are visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, we hope that you'll come back and visit with us any, any chance that you may have. We also want to welcome those of you who are joining us live online. Uh, we're always glad to have you guys join us. We want you to know that you are part of our family as well. And so uh, thank you so much for tuning in. All right, well, as you guys can see this morning, uh, we are continuing our series, When Life Gives You Lemons. And what we're doing in this, in this series is we're just walking through the book of Philippians. And, and really, it's not a book at all, right? We talked about this from the beginning. Really, it's a letter. And it was written by a guy by the name of Paul who talks an awfully lot about the joy that he has, right? In, in no less than four chapters, he mentions joy, rejoicing, gladness some 16 times. And, and, and so, man, this is just a letter, a book that is just full of joy. And, and what's absolutely amazing is the circumstances that Paul is writing this through. Are writing this in. Paul, remember we talked about, he is writing this from a prison. He is chained to a guard 24-7 and he is waiting, he is awaiting trial in which he is facing possible execution. I mean, just, just try and imagine that. I know often oftentimes we think we've got it bad, but man, think how bad Paul has it, and yet he is writing about the joy that he has even in these difficult circumstances. And so what we've been doing in this study is we've just been using the book of Philippians to see how we can have joy. Because so oftentimes, joy is one of those things that often eludes us even in the best of circumstances. Amen? Right. I mean, there are times when we all struggle to have joy. Now, last week, we looked at Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul made that awesome statement, to live is what, church? To live is Christ. Come on, you guys can do better than that. To live is... Christ and to die as what? To die as gain. And so we talked about in that lesson last week what that means and what that looks like to live for Christ. Okay, today we're going to get into Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. You can be turning there in your Bibles, and what we're going to see Paul doing today is he's going to double down on that, right? He's, he's going to get deeper into what it means to really live for Christ. So buckle up. Get ready. Okay? Look at verse 27. Notice what he says. Above all, in other words, man, the most important thing is this. Right? Above all, this is what's most important. You must, what church? Live, live as what? citizens of heaven conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, I want us to push, push pause right there just for a few moments because I want you to understand that citizenship was a really big deal back then. 
Especially for the people of Philippi, because you see, they were Roman citizens, which was the best citizenship at the time that you could have, because it came with all these privileges and all these rights. And so what Paul is saying here is this, he says, I know what you have, and and I know that it's good But he says, above that, he says, I want to remind you that you are now citizens of heaven because you have given your life to Jesus. And so now you have this this new citizenship. And, And what Paul is really driving home is I want you to live this new citizenship out, right? And it has to be more than just words. You know, you can't just say, I'm I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, and then live like all these other Roman citizens out here. You got to live different. You got to walk different. You got to choose to live for Jesus. It's got to be more than just words. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you learned the Pledge of Allegiance when you were growing up? How many of you can actually say that every single day when you got to school, you stood up, you faced the flag, you put your hand over your heart, and you said the Pledge of Allegiance? Any of you you had to do that? Okay, me me too. And, And so here's the deal. Man, That doing that every single day, that was absolutely driven into my brain. Right? I mean, there are a lot of things in this life that I have already forgotten from my childhood. And I know that there there are some things that I'm going to continue to forget, but I don't think I will ever forget the Pledge of Allegiance. Right? I mean, it's just kind of driven into our brain. And, And I just remember, I memorized it, but here's the deal. I didn't really, I didn't really let that pledge that I made back then affect who I was. Did you? I mean, I can't think of one moment in my life where I was getting ready to do something that I shouldn't do, and someone say, whoa, 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 Slate. Remember the pledge you made? I can't think of one moment in my life where I was getting ready to do something that I, that I shouldn't do, and I thought to myself, I can't do that. I made, I made the pledge. Right? It was... At that point in time in my life, it was just something I memorized. Right? I, I didn't really think about the pledge that, that I had made back then. Now let me ask you this question. How many of us would admit that sometimes our faith can be like that? And what I mean by that is we, we come to services on, on Sunday morning and, and maybe we come to Bible class on Sunday morning and Bible class on Wednesday night and, and we pledge all these things to Jesus, right? Right? But our life doesn't reflect the things that we say are really important. And here's what Paul's trying to get at. Look, I want you to pledge allegiance, but I want you to pledge allegiance to King Jesus. And it's more than just your words. Because of the citizenship that we have, because of the pledge that we have taken as Christians, because of the kingdom that we have entered into, we should totally and radically be shaped 
right, in, into Jesus and, and the way He lived and the way He would have us live, right? It, it should radically shape our everyday, every single interaction that we have. In other words, I've pledged my allegiance to King Jesus. And because that's true, what is this situation asking of me, and, and that's what Paul is really going to speak into as we look back at this verse, as we finish out this verse. He says, look, he says, I want to remind you, he says, you are citizens of heaven, and as citizens of heaven, he says, I want you to conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the good news about Christ. And you may want to underline that word worthy there because the, the word picture that we actually get from that word worthy is the picture of some scales. How, how many of you know what scales are? Okay, most of you do, our younger group may not, but the, the way scales would work was you would have something on one side and then you would place something on the other side of that scale to, to kind of help it balance out. Well, Paul here, he says, because on this side the gospel is true. Because of what Jesus has done for you and me, and I want you to really think about what Jesus has done for us. We, we celebrated it and we were reminded of it this morning as we took the Lord's Supper, as we do every Sunday. We, we were supposed to focus on the fact that Jesus... God Himself left His heavenly home. He came, He lived the perfect life, and then He died on a cross so that we wouldn't have to pay for our sins, right? And, and so what Paul is saying, because of what Jesus did over here, because the gospel is true, he says we need to live a life over here that is worthy, that is fitting of what Jesus did for us over here. Does that make sense? Are, are you guys with me? Because of what Jesus did for us, you know, we should be living a certain way as His followers. As, as the ones who are the, the recipients of, of what Jesus has done for us. Think about what Jesus did for you. Jesus saved you from eternal punishment. He saved you from eternal death. He, for, for many of you, you could stand up right now and say, man, Jesus has set me free. I've, I've dealt with addictions. Jesus has transfer, transformed my life. I used to be this person of anger and, and this person of bitterness. And now, man, I, I'm, I'm loving and I'm kind. I mean, I, I think most of us could stand up and say, man, because of Jesus, He has absolutely changed my life in light of that. Right? Because of what Jesus did over here, we should live a certain way over here, right? So here's what Paul's going to do in, in the next few verses. He's going to say, look, here's what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel. Here's what it means to really be a Christian, a citizen of heaven. Look at verse 27 again. It says, "...and whether I come and see you again..." or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit 
and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemy. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God Himself. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So let's stop right here. If, if we're going to live a life worthy of the gospel, Paul says, look, this is what's going to show up in our life. And here's the first thing that he mentions. He says, we're going to be unified. Right? Just, just look back at our text. He talks about as, as Christians, we are to stand together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together, right? We are, we are to be unified. We are, we are called to stand together. And, and here's the deal. This wasn't just important to Paul. Man, this was so important to Jesus Himself. Look at John chapter 17, verse 23. This is Jesus speaking. He says, May they experience such perfect, what church? Said out loud. Unity. Unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And I want you to really take this in. I want you to really think about this. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And what was on His heart? What was on His mind in that moment? What, what did Jesus pray? That we would be unified. Right? He, he's praying, I, I want them to have so much unity that the world will stop and stare. I want them to have a unity like the world has never seen before so that the only explanation for it is they have been touched by God. There is some good news behind them. There must be something bigger that is pulling them all together like this. Because think about today. And this is why it's so important. Think about why a lot of people say they don't come to church. I would say a fair number, if you ask them, they'll tell you they, they don't come to church because of the disunity. Because of the, the divisiveness. Or as some people like to regard or, or refer to it as uh, the Christian civil war. Right? I mean, you, you think about what God is doing here and what He refers to it as, right? He's, he's building a kingdom. We're part of His kingdom. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. Who would want to, be a, who would want to move to a kingdom? Who would want to be a part of a kingdom that's in the middle of a civil war? Right? That's why Paul gives us this call to be united as one. The Bible says that those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, those of us who are citizens of heaven, we are part of a body. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, he talks about this body is, is one body. 
And, and he also talks about how, you know, we're a part of God's family. And, and as God's family, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And then I, I love the imagery. I love the, the picture that, that Paul gives us here. That as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to stand together. We are to stand shoulder to shoulder with one another. And I want you to think about this. How hard is it to fight each other shoulder to shoulder? Right? When you're, when you're standing together, when, when, when you're standing shoulder to shoulder, it's almost impossible to, to fight. And, and here Paul is saying, look, I want you to stand shoulder to shoulder. I want you to stand together. And a lot of people believe that really what he's giving reference to here is a Roman military formation. Some of you have probably seen this in movies. As Romans would go out into battle, they would stand shield to shield, shoulder to shoulder, and their strength wasn't so much in them, but in that line, right? That line that would just push forward. And, and that's what Paul is calling us to. It's this amazing picture of unity as brothers and sisters in Christ, citizens of heaven. We are standing shoulder to shoulder because if divisiveness would push the world away, unity is what will pull this watching world in so that they will desire to give their lives and desire to come to know Jesus themselves. And so Paul says, listen, in light of the gospel, because of what Jesus did over here, he gives us this call to unity. But then also, Paul gives us, gives us this call to be courageous. Look, look back at our text, verse 28. He says, don't be what, church? Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Now, some of your translations may say, don't be afraid or, or don't be terrified. And the word picture uh, of that, that word there, intimidation or afraid, is really this, this picture of a skittish horse. How many of you have ever seen a horse, or maybe you've even been on a horse that's, that's been spooked before? <laughs> That's a scary moment, isn't it? That's why I don't mess with horses. I Look, I, I love looking at them at a distance, but there was a time where I was with Julie's family, and I got on a horse, and man, I didn't realize how far you are off the ground on a horse, right? And, and I'm up there on this horse, and all of a sudden, for some reason, don't know what it was, a horse gets spooked, and it goes back up on its back legs like the picture you see, and I just grab onto the horse, and man, I'm screaming, get me off of this thing. It, it was scary, man, and, and, and that's the imagery that we have of, of this horse that gets spooked, and it's bucking, and it's going crazy, and, and doing all these things because it's, it's spooked. And Paul is saying, look, don't let that be you. Just like a horse can be trained to be a war horse to go into battle and not get spooked, he says, I'm placing that same calling on you. Don't be intimidated by anything that comes your way. Now, let me speak more into that word courage because I think so oftentimes when we think about courage, we think about something big, right? 
And we're to have courage. We've we got to do something big, like something out of the Lord of the Rings. Or, or those of you who have seen the, the movie Gladiator, you know, you, you think of these big moments where you have people who step up in, in courage. But I, I love what Dr. Maya Agnelou says about courage. She says, without courage, listen to this, we can't practice any other virtue with consistency. Without courage, we can't be kind. We can't be true. We can't be merciful. We can't be generous or even honest. And I think we could add to that what Paul has just called us to, even as far as unity is concerned. We can't have unity without courage. And so the question is this morning, is there anything that's intimidating you? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a type of situation you're facing. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's death. Is there anything that is intimidating you from truly living as a citizen of heaven? What is that thing? And what can you do about it? You know, in the New Testament, there is this book of the Bible called Acts. And basically what the book of Acts is, is just a recording of the acts of the apostles and the church and the Holy Spirit as the church is just kind of getting off the ground. And, and, and one of the things that we see in the book of Acts is some individuals who were very, very courageous. In fact, some of them were standing there bloodied and beaten and they're, they're being told by people of power, don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus ever again because if you do, you will die. And you have these men and women who are standing there during that time saying, listen, we can't do that. We have to continue to preach in His name. what's interesting is what they were praying for as they were going through all this. Specifically, if you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 29, they were praying for boldness. For courage. And it's like, why in the world are you guys praying for boldness, for, for courage? I mean, you look like you were absolutely full of it. But see, here's the deal. Here's what they knew. They knew that they were only courageous because of the Spirit of God. And you and I, man, we're no exception. We need to be praying for more boldness, for more courage, to be who we need to be. To be who God is calling us. To be. Because listen, this is, this is what I know about me. Oftentimes things come into my life that I'm intimidated by, that I'm frightened by. And most of the time when I pray, instead of praying for boldness and courage to get through that, I pray, God, take me out of that. Anybody else? It's probably just me. But I mean, that's what I'm focused on. And, and here's, here's the question that, that we have to wrestle, wrestle with. Which one of my citizenships do you think is influencing that type of prayer? 
Because to be removed from pain and trials is to, and to solely have pleasure, that sounds like a prayer that's really being influenced by my citizenship here in this world, in America. You know, in the book of James, James talks about our prayers and why we don't oftentimes get what we want. He says in James chapter 4, starting in verse 2, he says, yet you don't have what you want because number one, you don't ask God for it. But then he goes on to say, and even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you what? Church, say it out loud. Pleasure. Anybody else been guilty of that? And so we have to ask, man, is that what I'm after? Pleasure. I think so oftentimes that's, that's the kind of God that I want. A God of pleasure. But really what we have is a God of holiness. And here's the deal. God wants us to have joy. Don't misunderstand that. He wants us to have joy, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be in the absence of hard times. You know, as we look through Scripture, as God's people would go through hard times, God would simply say to them, and He did this time and time again, be strong in what, church? And courageous. Deuteronomy 31, Joshua chapter 1. Why? He says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord is what? He's going to be with you. And, and you know, that's one of the benefits of, of being a citizen of heaven, right? Because he, here's the deal. That citizenship means that we don't go anywhere without our King. Remember what Jesus said before He left this world, before He ascended back into heaven? He says, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so that's the promise that comes with the citizenship of heaven, right? We may go through things in this life, but be strong, be courageous, because our King, the Lord... He's going to be with us. And so here, Paul, he calls us to stand together and to have courage as citizens of heaven. And we are going to need that because of the last point that he makes, which is the fact that we're going to suffer. And I want you to know it's inevitable for everyone. I know so oftentimes I'm tempted to say, woe is me. I'm the only one who's ever gone through that. It's, those are the kind of thoughts that oftentimes cross my mind. But as we look around, man, we, we all have problems, problems, and a lot of those problems are, are very, very similar. But it's inevitable. We all face it. And, and so look at what Paul writes, starting in verse 29. He says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of what, church? Suffering for Him. 
We're in this struggle together. Now, this was very important to the people back then because there are some who believe that if you were suffering, if you went through hard times, it's because you were a sinful person. Now, don't misunderstand me. So, you know, so oftentimes when we make bad choices, we can create suffering for ourselves. But on the flip side of that, sometimes we suffer not because we're doing things we shouldn't do, but because we're doing things we should do. Because we're, we're living for Christ. In fact, he says, we are going to suffer. And Paul's saying, look, I don't want you to run from it. I mean, I realize it's, it's inevitable. I mean, it's, it's coming, and, and yes, we should do everything we can to keep from tripping over ourselves, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we don't want to create suffering for ourselves, but there are going to be times when, as a Christian, we're going to suffer if we live for Jesus. Living the perfect life doesn't mean being absent from suffering. If it did, man, Jesus' life was all messed up, right? Because Jesus is the only one who ever came and lived the perfect life. But here's what we know about Jesus. He suffered the worst. And so living a perfect life doesn't mean that we will be absent of, of suffering. And, and so we, we have to change our perspective when it comes to suffering as a citizen of heaven. And here's that perspective shift. Every bit of pain that we experience, all the suffering that we go through in this life is not in vain. In fact, it's with perfect, in per, with purpose. I think one of the best illustrations of this is the birth of a baby. Remember Jesus talked about that in John chapter 16, verse 21? You know, he's talking to his disciples about, hey, listen, some of you, you are, are going to be, you are going to grieve and you're going to be heartbroken, and this is going to be painful for you when I die. But look at what he says. He says, it will be like a woman suffering from the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to what, church? To joy, because she has brought a new baby into this world. Now think about that. The birth of a baby. And I know this because my wife has told me it's terrible. My wife has given birth to five kids. And uh, just about every one of those labors were absolutely terrible for her. And she even tried to have the epidural and either she didn't get it in time or it only took on one side or she had a kidney infection. I mean, it was one thing after another. And so with just about every one of our kids, she went through this terrible pain. But if you ask her if the pain was worth it to have those kids, she'll tell you, yeah. Just like the suffering of having a baby gives birth to something good and beautiful, we can trust that God can use the suffering in our lives to bring about something good and beautiful. Now, I'm not saying what we're suffering is good and beautiful. What I'm saying is that with God, because of who He is, he can actually use the worst suffering in our life to birth something good and beautiful if we will allow it. 
that we can even, in the midst of suffering, have joy. Going back to Acts chapter 5, one of the passages that absolutely blows me away is Acts 5.41 because the apostles, they had just been beaten. They're bloodied. They're beaten up and, and, well, notice what it says. The apostles left the high council. What church? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Isn't that crazy? I mean, these guys were beaten, beaten to a pulp for preaching in the name of Jesus. And they left rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They'd been beaten and humiliated and they walked away with a limp, but they had joy. Right? Because God had counted them worthy to suffer for the gospel. I know we're out of time, but let me leave you with a question to wrestle with this week. Who do you become when opposition comes? Which part of your citizenship gets highlighted when opposition comes? When suffering comes, do you, more, do you look more like a citizen of heaven or, or do you look more like a citizen of this world? And I want to leave you with a passage and um, Andy's fixing to lead us in our, our invitation song after I, I read this. But Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, he says, we do this by keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. In, in other words, we endure suffering. We're, we're able to be who, who we need to be because we keep our focus on Him, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He did why, church? He endured the cross, discarding its shame. Now He is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility that He endured from sinful people. In other words, the Hebrew writer is pointing back to Jesus and he says, look at what all Jesus went through. And He went through all that with this joy in His mind of what that was going to produce, what that was going to do for you. And then He goes on to say, Think of all the hostility He endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Stay focused on Jesus. There may be someone, I need to, uh, maybe someone who needs prayers this morning to do just that, to stay focused on, on Jesus. It uh, may be that uh, someone needs to, to say this morning, man, I, I need strength. I, I need you to, to pray for me that, that God would give me the strength to, to get through this. Or you know what? What I'm going through right now is, is really bad. It's really terrible. It's terrible for our family. But, but would you just pray for God to take this suffering that I'm going through and use it in a good and, and beautiful way? Or maybe that there's someone here today who needs to come forward and say, man, I, I just need to give my life to Jesus. I need to get my walk on today being baptized into Christ, having all my sins washed away, beginning with a fresh start.
in Him. But whatever the case may be, if you need to, if you need to respond today, won't you come together? We stand and sing. <clears throat> Softly and 